Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, this morning we are uh, back in Philippians, so if you can open your Bibles, start turning there to Philippians 4. We are in the last chapter, kind of the home stretch of our journey through this letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. We'll close that out, and then we'll have uh, a, a new, something to look at on Christmas, and then uh, and then we'll move towards something new in the new year. So, uh, But we're kind of in this home stretch of this journey with Paul. So open your Bibles and, and start looking at Philippians 4. In a moment, I'll read verses 2 through 7. And if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 842, 842, if you're looking there. Uh, This morning, we started to sing Christmas songs, and the Christmas decorations are out. Uh, We're preparing, we're we're thinking about this season, and uh, so we sing songs like Silent Night, and and I'll give my little plug, which uh, we'll probably sing that song on Christmas Eve here, 5 p.m. If you're coming, if you're in town, if you have family, come. Maybe there's a neighbor that doesn't have a church that you could start inviting them to, to come and join us. Uh, and there's enough time there to probably go and do supper afterwards and hang out with your family. So, uh, 5 o'clock, Christmas Eve, silent night. We'll sing it. And we'll think on the other things and the reflections uh, of Jesus coming on that evening. So, uh, that's my little plug for that evening right there, uh, free of charge. Uh, there's songs this time of year that uh, we know, we're familiar with. And if we're honest with ourselves, many of the Christmas carols that we're familiar with they aren't, we aren't familiar or drawn into them because of the, the, the rich theology or the rich uh, nature of the verses of them, are we? That, that's a good reason, and I hope that we can think on the words a little bit more as we hear these songs. But oftentimes, as we're walking through this December month and we're hearing songs, we're, we're reflecting, and, and there's songs that come up in our minds and in our hearts, and we say, oh, that song is, is really special. It has a special place in our heart. Maybe because uh, a friend of yours or, or a loved one sang that particular song in a, in a really unique or special way that just you remember that. Or, or, or it's a song that you sang as a, as a child in front of your church or, or whatever it might be. There's, there's reasons and memories that are attached to some of these songs, right? There's one song in particular that sticks out to me. Um, that I always remember when it comes up, and I, I don't think about the song so much as where I was in high school often when I sang it. The song is, O Come All Ye Faithful. And, and at the end of the song, O Come All Ye Faithful, there's this line, uh, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord, right? And, and I remember that song uh, from those lines in particular because that song was the song that our my high school choir, yes, in high school I was a choir nerd, uh, so I'll confess that, but don't ask me to sing up here just yet. Um, but we would come in every year singing that song in the dark with candles. That sounds really intelligent, right? But I remember we'd practice and practice this rehearsing of walking down these steps in the dark and singing this song. And, and I, I remember this, the last lines because right before we blew out the, the candles, we'd sing, Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. 
Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And, and I would never sing the, the first and second time. I would always sing in the third time. That was my line as the bass, as one of the basses in the choir, one of the, the low uh, voices. And I would come in on the last moment that, that come let us adore him, Christ the Lord, with this different sounding line, these different notes. And what it was was the harmony. It was the harmony of the song which, which added to it and made this resounding, wonderful song as it was added in with the melody, as it was added in to the greater picture, and it made this wonderful sound. And so if last week we were talking about this running, and I got all jazzed up about running, if this week, if you're a singer, if, if music is your thought, this is the sermon for you, because I want us to be thinking of this passage in terms of that harmony. In terms of a choir that's working together and trying to harmonize together in the song that they sing. That's what Paul is trying to do here. He doesn't speak of that, but I think it's a good illustration for us as we go into our text this morning. Where he's talking about the church coming together and living in harmony. Harmony, if you don't know, is really multiple parts that, that come together to make a, a similar sounding or a, a unique, uh, grander, greater, more pleasing sound, a chord on a piano that just sounds wonderful as different notes are added in. The harmony, the living, or the, 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 the peace that we find in those notes and in those sounds, that's the idea for us this morning. And the sermon title is A Harmony in Us from Our Peacemaking God. A harmony in us from our peacemaking God. And it's important to note that when I say us, when I say us, I'm not talking about me as an individual and, and, and one of you guys as an individual and you over there as an individual, but I'm talking about us as a collective, as a church. Harmony in the church from our peacemaking God. So with that being said, I want to pray for this time. I want to thank God for his text, and then I want to read God's word for us. So let me uh, pray and thank God. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather around this book, around your word, that we can say thank you for it, that we can listen to it, and we believe in our hearts truly that it has a meaning for our lives. This morning we surrender ourselves and put ourselves under this text. I ask that you put me under this text as one who needs to hear this as well. The part as part of this church that each of us need to grow in the song that we sing, which is the gospel news of you, Jesus, that we sing out to each other and to the world around us. Father, this morning I ask that your spirit bring up the thoughts that we need to. That you bring words to my lips that are of you. And that we can grow in our understanding of how you would have us live in this life, in this church, in this world. Thanks, God. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Chapter 4, Philippians. I'm going to go back and start at verse 1, which is a verse we looked at last week. But it kind of sets the tone, the collective nature of this passage. Philippians 4, Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
I entreat Udia and I entreat Sintuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind, minds in Christ Jesus. This morning, our message, again, Paul is writing to a church, he's writing to a collective group, and you can imagine that the way that this letter was presented, the way it would have been heard, was not that each person would have been given an individual copy of it, and they would have read through at their own pace, but it would have been read aloud. It would have been read by one person who's reading this letter that, that just came from, from Paul, it's been delivered to the church's doorstep through a messenger, and the church opens it up and starts reading and through this whole letter, as Paul has been reading, as we've been studying it, they're hearing these things that Paul is speaking about, the, the greatness of God and the greatness of what Jesus does, and, and continue to, to walk in that and press on in that, and he's encouraging them, encouraging them, encouraging them. He's, he's teaching them the song. He's teaching them about the song of life and how they should live as Christ followers. And then he does this unusual thing. As, as the letter is being read aloud... To the whole group, then he points out two individuals, two women, whose names are not easy to pronounce. Uodia <laughs> and Sintuke, two women who are, who are spoken of here that we don't know much about them. We don't know anything beyond this verse and, and, and what's going on, that they were from Philippi. And, and, and so we don't get a whole lot. But if we want to take the, the, the analogy or the illustration of a choir, it's kind of like he's been teaching the song, teaching this, this group, this, this choir a song, and he suddenly turns to two of them and he says, Hey, hey you two ladies, you're, you're not really in sync. You're not really in harmony. Because there's something going on between them that doesn't connect with the song that they're supposed to be singing. These are two ladies in the church. They are, are women who are said to be laborers with Paul. They are said to have their names written in the Lamb or in the Book of Life, it says. And, and so we know they're Christ followers. There's good things said before them. And, and it's not so much a scolding as it is a correction or an encouragement to, to come together, to work. And so our first idea this morning is that we are called to work towards gospel harmony. We're called to work towards gospel harmony. That's what he's calling them to do. Look with me in verse 2. He says, I entreat these two women to agree in the Lord. To agree, to have the same mind. Other, other translations say that. To be in the same mind in the Lord. Or, as the New American Standard says, to live in harmony. Two different individuals. Two different stories. They, like us, we, we gather together with, with different jobs and family stories and, and ways in which God has worked into our life. And we gather here together and, and in the church we're encouraged to live in harmony. That our differences, when they come to 
together and they start to sing the same gospel message in the Lord, they make this beautiful sound. They make this beautiful uh, life that, that points out and speaks a wonderful thing to the world around them. Paul is encouraging them to live in harmony. And it's harmony surrounding the gospel. Earlier in Paul's letter of Philippians, uh, in chapter 2, we hear the same vocabulary. He, he's teaching them the song, which is this. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, by agreeing with one another, having the same love and in full accordance of one mind. The song is that as a church that we're supposed to continue to grow in agreeing in the gospel. That's not saying that we have to be totally the same, that, that we have to be all the, the same cookie-cutter variety, but we have to at least agree and say the gospel is what's most important in between us. We can guess that what Paul says in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the following verses up above, that that's probably what's going on between these two women. It says, verse 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we guess by the language and by the story and, and the wholeness of this letter that Paul is suggesting that there's something about these ladies that they're thinking more about themselves and thinking about their own interests, their own life, than serving and becoming like Christ in their walk. And so Paul is encouraging them to work at it, to work at agreeing, to work at finding a way to be more like Christ in their own way, or in a together way, I should say, in a way that brings out that harmony. What's interesting is that it's not just, okay, you two go off to your corner and try to work it out, but it's a kind of a church, a, a church thing to work on together. And for us, we should hear this as, this is when we have disagreements or we have things that are not harmonizing well, we should be encouraged to reconcile, to work together, to move towards peace and, and, and working as a community and when that doesn't work between two people, we bring someone else in to help. Verse 3. He says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. And then he gives other names and people there. He encourages another worker to come in. Uh, a fellow worker, a fellow companion. Some translations, the older ones would say, yoke fellow, or someone who has, has picked up the, the, the idea of wanting to bring the gospel forward and, and moving forward in the gospel, bringing someone along to help these two women sing a song, sing the song of the gospel that brings out a beautiful sound. For us this morning... In that first idea, the idea of working out towards harmony, working out for the gospel. For us this morning, I want us to take a look around. Think about who's in this room. Think about those who are brothers and sisters in Christ in your life. 
and, and say, am I in harmony with them? Am I, am I connected with them in the gospel? Am I surrendering myself to, to encourage them and to draw out something great in each other? Am I working towards that? Are there things that I, I'm learning about each other and, and growing and, and where we have differences that we're, we're working towards agreement and, and sounding the same in those things, uh, in the important things, which is the gospel? What Paul is calling this church and these ladies and, and this helper to do, I think, in our time is, is really a challenge to us because for us, when we come to church, when we show up here at the door, for many of us, we're looking at getting something for ourselves. We're, we're looking at being encouraged in ourselves, and, and we don't come here with the idea of, I come to church to lay myself down, to surrender, to serve, to bring a more beautiful sound out of the church by me giving to the church. We come saying, I want to receive. And when we start to think that way, as we can suspect it was for these ladies, Something's off in the melody and the harmony. The song is off. doesn't sound as it should. And on top of that, the idea of actually coming together and working out those problems, that's not something that we do that often, is it? We don't work towards reconciling with the person that we have conflict with. We don't try to say, how do we harmonize our lives together for the gospel? Instead, we'd rather just kind of push things under the rug, or we'd rather be passive-aggressive about it, or we'd rather work counter to the gospel message. But here we have in Paul him calling to say, no, the imperative, the command is to work those things out, to, to move forward and to work towards reconciling and coming together so we make the gospel look good. It's as if he's pointing to these two ladies in the choir and saying, we need to figure this out. We need to bring someone else in. We need to make sure this sounds good. And before we just think that it's just two people with a problem, then Paul, what he does is he expands back, he steps back. And these next verses, which become really familiar, verses that we've heard before, verses 4 through 7, we need to see them as that, that he's pulling back and he's now talking to the whole group. He's encouraging them in the same light to walk together to find harmony. And he's going to tell us just how that happens. He speaks and he moves from speaking singularly to individuals. And now he speaks back to the whole church. And he speaks of rejoicing. And the point that I want us to see in 4 through 6 is that rejoicing makes harmony heard. That rejoicing is the sound of we make. It's the way that the world and us, each other, that we hear that harmony sound, that beautiful sound of the gospel. Look at verses 4 through 6. This common word, rejoice, that Paul has used throughout Philippians, he says it again here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known. Don't be anxious. Pray. 
for the Father. He goes through this list of things, and, and really the main idea is, is kind of everything else kind of comes out of that idea of rejoicing. Everything falls out of the idea of rejoicing in the Lord. This isn't something that's optional. This isn't something that's a mere suggestion of like, hey, maybe if you could rejoice a little bit, it might be a positive, it might be a good thing to think on. No, he says, be a person of rejoicing. We know that that's hard sometimes, and it's easier for us to maybe be ones that don't rejoice, that are grumblers, that are are frustrated, that are, are bitter, that don't find something to rejoice in. But here is Paul is saying, for the church, if you're going to do your job, which is to harmonize together around the gospel message, the song that it is, you must rejoice. That is the vocal cords, if you will, that brings the sound out as we rejoice in the Lord and what He has done. It makes the harmony of the different parts heard, our different stories blending together. For us, I think this morning, we can think, what is our response? What is our natural tendency? Do we find ways to rejoice easy? Or is it something that's difficult? Is it something that we need to work on? And the question is more, what are we rejoicing in? If we don't have a basis for rejoicing, if we, if we aren't thinking properly on what that rejoicing is, what the song is, and we'll get there in a moment we're not going to be able to rejoice because we're grabbing into air for what to rejoice in. Ultimately, he's saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what Christ has done. Rejoice in that peace that comes through God. So we're supposed to rejoice. And then he moves on that in the process of this, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I think that that let kind of throws us off a little bit. In the word, in the kind of, if you go back, the kind of literal way of the way that this verse plays out is your reasonableness will be made known. Your reasonableness, your, your gentleness of spirit, your, your ability to, to live life together with grace will be made known. When we hear the word or see the word let, I think we start to think that I have to do that. That, that the, the idea that Paul is bringing out here is that, that I should be able to muster up the strength to let my reasonableness and, and be known to others. But what is actually being said here is, as we are rejoicing, as we're looking to God, and, and as we are looking to Him and rejoicing in Him, and, and seeing what He did, and seeing how great His grace is towards us, there's going to be a grace gracefulness, a reasonableness, a gentleness that is produced in us. And and it's going to steep out of us. That is the harmony that's going to come out. Our ability to be gracious towards others and walk with others in life and, and forgive them is based on how much we are looking to God and rejoicing in Him first. That's how it's let known. It's let out. It's released. That beautiful sound of looking to our neighbors and saying, Hey, I forgive you when you've wronged me. Hey, hey I, 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 I love you even when it's difficult to love you. I want to show you grace. I want to serve you. comes out as we first are rejoicing in the Lord. 
as we're first turning to Him. Paul goes on to speak of of this reasonableness, this gentleness, this way about, this this way of grace that just comes out of us. And he wants that to be the song that, that is heard, not just to the church, but to all mankind. That, that that is the message that as we're singing that as a church, we're coming together and showing grace toward each other. The church is going to be something that the world looks at and says, what is it with them? What is that beautiful sound that comes out of them? What is the, the joy that they are rejoicing about? And it wants the world to look and say, why are they difficult or different in, in this time when things are tough? What is it that's coming out of them? Oh, it's graciousness, gentleness that's produced by their joy in Jesus. Paul moves on to verse 6. Verse 6, he looks at and he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We hear these verses, you might have this on a refrigerator magnet on your, in your kitchen. You might be thinking on this verse, and you know this verse, and, and you think on this verse when it comes to prayer and everything like that. But again, what, what it needs to be seen is it's, it's underneath the idea of rejoicing. That this is an idea that, that in its context, in its way, is talking about the church coming together and rejoicing together. And so when he talks about being anxious, he's saying to us as a church... Uh, focus on things that are of God. Focus on what true things are. Focus on the song that God has given us. Don't be anxious. Because those anxieties, those things that, that don't trust in the God who, who said, I will take care of you, uh, that He has given His promise of, of delivering Christ at the first coming and says, I will come again. Don't be anxious about your life. Because God has shown Himself to be worthy and true. And together, don't be anxious about what tomorrow will hold. Obviously, we know for this situation, as I've said before, Paul himself is in prison. And this church, they may have difficulties. They don't know what tomorrow brings. And, and Paul is saying, no, don't be anxious, rejoice. And in the things you are anxious in, and the things that, that you're worried about life in, that you're saying... How can I rejoice? I don't know how to rejoice in you. He says, go with that before God. Communicate that to Him. Give your requests to Him. But I think what's often overlooked in this passage is we see the with thanksgiving and we think that that's a separate thing. But no, our prayers, all of them, our requests, all of them, should be made with a, a aspect, a qualitative nature of thanksgiving. As we pray, as we petition, as we ask God for anything, church, let it be undergirded with a spirit of thanksgiving. That we say, Lord, thank you for what you've already done. I, I'm anxious in this. I, I'm, I'm worried about, about what's going on. And, and I'm worried about even laying my life and serving others. Uh, Lord, let it be that I'm thankful first for what you've done, what you've shown to be true, and that I can trust that you will take care of me. 
Paul, in a way, is kind of referring back to what Jesus even himself said in Matthew. He says, don't be anxious about your life, whatever you will eat or drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. He goes on, Jesus does, to say, is, it not, is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued to that than they? For which of you, brings, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need all them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Seek the kingdom. This is really interesting because in, in these verses, Paul is saying that I don't worry about my life. I, I, to me, life is lived through Christ now. Christ is living out of me. And so all these things, all these anxieties in life, it, it's not about my life. It's about just living Christ and knowing that Christ is living out of me. So just like Jesus where he says, think about the kingdom. For those in this church, in this context where, where Paul is suggesting living a way that harmonizes together, he's saying the way to live in harmony is thinking about the kingdom, thinking about the church, thinking about those around you, and laying down just about will it be okay or not. Trust God. So if we're supposed to work at finding harmony for the gospel, if we're supposed to work together, at coming together and singing the gospel song of, of, of uh, together and, and making the sound, that, that rejoicing is really the way in which we do it, the question it becomes then, what is the song? What is the song that we are singing? And the final thing that I want us to write down, or whatever you do for taking notes, is that the song... Or that the truths of God are the song of peace. That the truths of God are the songs of peace. That this peace that we have that Paul speaks of in verse 7, that that's the thing that we should be singing. Look at verse 7. He says there, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And that's the kind of way he wraps up. But he's also laced a couple other things in there that are truths in this passage. Look back at uh, that verse 3. He says that your names are in the book of life. So he's, he's established that these people uh, are, are, have something. They have an eternal home. That, they, that when judgment comes that they will find life, not judgment. That's a truth that they can sing out. If that's, if that's the first, that's kind of how would it say it? Those are the, that's the first of three verses in the song that they're supposed to be singing. That they sing out, I have gotten something. My, my life is in the book of life through Christ, through what He has done. I sing out that. I sing out that I have something. 
in Christ. I have found life in Him. That truth is a song that we should sing out, that we should praise, that, that we should sing loudly. And, and that's our part That in our own story, whatever our story is of how God has met us and get, shown us the gospel and revealed that to us by faith. We sing that out and as a collective together, that sound raises a joyful noise together. The second truth in our life as we live now in this life and we walk through this life is found in verse 5. The Lord is near. He says in the midst of rejoicing and letting our reasonableness to come out, he, he adds that little line that I skipped over earlier, but now it's important to go back to and says, in the middle of our rejoicing, remember that the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. That's a verse that we sing out. Then when we're walking through life, that we can trust in His nearness. There's two ways that we can look at that nearness. We can be reminded of it when things come, when we find it hard to rejoice, we remember that God is near us, that Christ is near and close to us, that He has left His helper, the Spirit, with us, that knows, that's walking in our lives. And part of our song in that is to say, yes, He's near, He's close by, I'm reminded of that, or also that He's near in the fact that He's going to come again. In the same way that he came once in, as a child in the likeness of man, Paul in Philippians says that he will come again. And we trust in that, that his nearness is also not that far off. For Paul, he thought that the, the Christ would come again in his time. He didn't, but he still trusted that Christ would come. For us, This morning, are we trusting in that nearness? Are we singing out that, yes, I do believe that God is near me in my time of need and that He's going to come again, that I can have confidence in those things, in that song? And then verse 7, which I read, he speaks of peace. The peace of God that will guard us. He speaks the same words that it's a, it's a surpassing greatness, a surpassing knowledge. He speaks of that in verse 3 again, where he says, Indeed, Paul, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. In the end, the song really revolves around this peace. It's not a generic peace. It's not some feeling that we have. It's anchored in what Jesus has already done. It's anchored in what Jesus came to do, in the knowledge of knowing Him through the cross, in the knowledge of knowing Him through His resurrection, and that He now lives. The song we sing about peace points backwards to the cross, Paul would say. It's something that already happened and that we can trust in, and that as we sing in this life, as we sing together as this group, We look and say, I have peace because of what God has done. I, I know that He's near. I know what He's done. And, and I sing out that. And for us as a church, that's where the harmony comes in. That for us as a church, what we should be doing on a Sunday morning, or as we gather in our lives throughout the week, is proclaiming the gospel to each other 
reminding each other that God is near. That peace has come through what Jesus has already done and that He will come again. That we can have confidence in that. And as we, we live life and we trust that because of what Jesus has done, we remember that and we encourage each other in that. And again, it brings out our different stories, our different harmonies. When time is tough for you, or, or life is difficult over here, or, or I'm trusting in the fact that, that I've, I, I'm walking in this, this, this time, I, I think even of Christmas time, where, where we, we maybe find it difficult because of someone we've lost, or, or we find it difficult because of a broken relationship, or we don't know how this Christmas season is going to play out. What we should be doing is reminding each other, speaking peace and gospel through what Jesus has done to each other so that we can all sing out the beautiful song of our Savior. This morning we gather around this morning and sing that song of peace truly through coming to the communion table. Um, This morning we're going to come up front as we do on the first Sunday of every month and remember We remember what Jesus did, and we trust in it. In a way, when we come up, and and what I want us to even be thinking about this this morning is our own story. Our Our own need for a Savior to come give His body, give His blood for us. When we look to this moment, when we look to the grace that we find at this table, the, the, the event which proclaims Jesus' sacrifice for us. What we do in living and coming is really we're, we're singing a song. And as each of us walk down the aisle and we, we, we know our stories or we, we, we come to this table having different stories, what we are proclaiming is that there's a beautiful song at this table. A song where Jesus came and said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, in a moment, as we come up here, as you come to take the elements, be thinking and be thankful that we can rejoice in what Jesus has done for us and that he will come again. We'll have a couple guys come up and bring... uh, the one tray around, if you can't come up and just kind of signal to them or whatever and they'll bring it to you. But I encourage each of us, if possible, come to the table. Sing that song, your part in the melody and the harmony of what's happening here at this table. I remind us, I should remind us again that again, this is not something that as we come that adds to our favor with God that's already been done But this is a remembrance. This is a symbol that reminds us of what he has already done. And Paul gives us instructions in it in 1 Corinthians. And the words are going to be on the screen. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says these things, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So this morning, as music plays, as you think about this, as you think about your story, as you think about what Jesus has done, talk with Him, think with Him, remind yourself. And then when you're ready, come to the table and proclaim Him until He comes again. Let me pray.